Welcome to Insight, a podcast devoted to subjects that are theological, historical, literary, even cinematic, but especially biblical. I'm your host and presenter, Gary Nation. This third episode of our series on Jeremiah covers chapters 11 through 20, which give us a very personal and intimate look at the trials and tribulations of a prophet. Jeremiah, and for you who are new to this study, our way of translating Jeremiah into our present day and getting a hold of his prophecies and looking at what he's doing is kind of looking at him as though he were a musical artist producing CDs, and some of those CDs contain song, uh, those CDs contain songs and sometimes spoken word, you know, just as though he were just in a, uh, it's a, it's a mixed media performance kind of a thing. Today we're looking at Jeremiah's double album. And we're looking at chapters 11 through 20. As I say, it's a double album. We're not going to be able to listen to every part of every, you know, to every song all the way through or at every cut all the way through. On this album, there's just too much there, but we are going to be able to hit quite a bit of it. This is a collection put together of uh, things over, over a period of years, and they, they just kind of revolve around. Uh, you know, they bring together the, the familiar preaching themes of Jeremiah, but they show also a stage of Jeremiah's own growth as an individual standing before God, as a prophet standing for God before the people, as an artist who is illuminating what's going on. This is his most personal album. And Jeremiah is very open about every... He is, he's very open about his heart all the way through. And yet, this section is the one in which he is most vocal, most open, and, of course, Jeremiah is one of the great blues artists of the Old Testament. He is known as the weeping prophet, and with good reason. There's a lot to cry about in his age. And the astonishing fact was, he was weeping, and the people that he was preaching to were laughing their lives away, as though nothing were nothing were going to happen this guy's just nut this guy's just crazy this is Jeremiah's most personal and intense album and sometimes what he has to say is very uncomfortable very uncomfortable this is not going to be a lot of people's favorite album and yet it's got some of my favorite songs in it It's got some things in it that have stuck with me for years. And that have been an important part of my spiritual growth. Have been a, a huge part of my understanding of God and of us. And of what it is to be a prophet. Now what it is to be a prophet. A prophet is a very peculiar calling. 
in, in the work of God. Not everybody who is called to do the work of God is called to be a prophet. You are all called into the ministry. Are you aware of that? In the body of Christ, you are all called into ministry. There are not ministers and then regular people. If you are a member of the body of Christ, if you are in Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, if you are in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a minister of Jesus Christ. The work of the ministry is yours. To be a prophet is a very specific function. Not everybody's called to be that. If that is your calling, God bless you. And God bless the one who lives with you. It's going to be a difficult life. It is not an easy thing. It is not an easy thing to be the mouthpiece of God in a world that is angry with God. And a God that is angry with the world. This is not an easy thing for Jeremiah. He's dealing with it. And he shows us very clearly what it is to deal with this calling with this calling in an age which really is going to be this is the age of destruction <coughs> Jeremiah is really preaching I mean Barry Maguire sang about it when he was a hip, an old lost hippie but he really you know sang about being on the eve of destruction Jeremiah's time, they really are in the eve of destruction. <coughs> it opens up with a spoken word clip, a sermon, the word that came to the Lord, hear the words of this covenant. And basically what comes out in this first clip, we won't go through it all. Jeremiah brings forth an issue that by now has become familiar. He's saying, God established, and these are words that are very closely copied from Jeremiah, or from the book of Deuteronomy. Jeremiah had ingested the Deuteronomic covenant. And God had made that part of his soul and part of his message. And Jeremiah's message was, God gave us promises, and he promised us that he would be with us. He promised us that if we obeyed him, he would bless us. And if we departed from him, we would come under his curse. And we have departed from him. And God is faithful. He does what, he's going to, what he says he's going to do. Verse 9. So he, he brings this sermon out and then verse 9 again the Lord said to me a conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem they have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words they've gone after other gods to serve them verse 11 therefore thus says the Lord behold I'm bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape though they cry to me I will not listen to them Verse 14, therefore do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer on their behalf, for I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their trouble. Now notice that. God says, Jeremiah, just don't even bother praying for these folks. I'm not going to listen to you. They've already crossed the line. They've crossed the line already. And then verse 18, Jeremiah begins the, the song part. 
of this clip. And his song is fascinating to me because it said, The Lord made it known to me and I knew that you showed me their deeds, but I was like a gentle lamb under the slaughter. I didn't know it was against me they'd five schemes. Saying, let us destroy the tree with his fruit. Let's cut him off from the land of the living that his name that be remembered no more. What's going on here? God says, there's a conspiracy against me. Now, these, this was an age, Jeremiah was living in an age of conspiracy theories. For good reason. I mean, the, the political intrigue of this age and this time in the days of the late kings of Judah of, uh, during this period... Uh, there were intrigues galore going on. I mean, everybody was plotting against everybody else. You had Egyptian foreign agents. You had Babylonian foreign agents. You had Assyrian foreign agents. You had Philistines and Moabites and Ammonites and Edomites. And all of them were working. And everybody was working intrigue. And you've got the intrigues inside the palace. You've got... Uh, the different members of the royal family who were plotting against each other, working to undercut each other and everything going on. So it was an age of conspiracies. And Jeremiah comes out and announces, God says, I'll tell you what the conspiracy is. You've all conspired to depart from me. That's the conspiracy. And then Jeremiah is alarmed to find out that that conspiracy was aimed specifically toward him. That conspiracy that God told him about, Jeremiah was the object of it. He said, let's destroy the tree with its fruit. Let's cut him off from the land of the living. The tree is God. The fruit is Jeremiah. It didn't occur to Jeremiah until just all of a sudden. I mean, Jeremiah received this as a prophecy. There's a conspiracy against me. Then he finds out they're really, they really are plotting to kill him. Now, have you ever had anybody plot to kill you? If you haven't, then don't judge Jeremiah for the alarm that he experienced here. Have you ever had anybody gossip about you? Okay, how did that make you feel? Have you ever had anybody tell a lie about you? How did that make you feel? Have you ever heard that somebody was trying to get your job? How did that make you feel? Multiply that several times and you might find out what it's like to, to have somebody plot to kill you and then find out you are, you are the object, of, you're the target of a plot. Somebody wants to kill you. Now, think about how you would feel in that circumstance. Don't judge Jeremiah. O Lord of hosts who judges righteously, who tests the heart and mind to see your vengeance upon them, for I've committed to you my cause. God says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of them. Last verse of that chapter. I will bring disaster upon the men of Anathoth, the year of their punishment. This is what hurts about all this. These were the men of Jeremiah's hometown. The people of his own hometown were saying, we need to kill this guy. We need to kill him for his own good. And Jeremiah was... So God says, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. Well, Jeremiah can't let it go. <laughs> I don't know why. He just can't let it go. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Now, oh God, I know you're righteous. I know you've got everything under control. I know you're truthful. 
but I don't understand this. Why do the wicked prosper? These guys are the top men in town. They're powerful. They're wealthy. They're wicked. I don't get it. Is that not the age-old complaint of the righteous looking and see why do the wicked prosper? Asaph, the psalmist, had this problem. He, he, he worked over this problem several times, very explicitly in, in one psalm. Why do, the, why do the righteous suffer? Why do the wicked prosper? And it's hard. I'm, that's an old story, isn't it? And we're all perplexed by that. We all wonder, why do these guys make it and good people can't get a break? Verse 3, but you, O Lord, you know me, you see me, you test my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. I'm the one who felt like sheep for the slaughter. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will a land mourn the grass of the field wither for the evil of those who dwell in it? The beasts and birds are swept away because they said he will not see our ladder in. You've got the innocent in the land, including just the plant and animal life that are suffering because God is sending judgment because of these guys. And God gives a comforting answer to Jeremiah. <clears throat> I was, uh, I remember, this is a, a vivid memory of mine. My college days. And I was in a, I was in one of these <coughs> self-pitying frames of mind I felt put upon by a lot of things. I, I didn't, I just thought things were not, it just wasn't fair. What I was dealing with, what I was having to go, it was just, it just wasn't fair. And I was in, in that kind of a mood, and I was going, I was reading this passage with Jeremiah, and I'm in there, I'm with Jeremiah, I'm saying, yeah, yeah. Amen. Yeah. I'm reading along here. And I've got this. And, I'm, and the version of the Bible that I'm reading it, I still remember that version of the, of the words. If you have run with the footmen and they've wearied you, how will you contend with the horses? And if in a safe land you fall, how will you do in the jungle of the Jordan? This is a slightly different translation. If you, have, if you have raced with men on foot and they've wearied you, how will you compete with, with horses? And if in a safe land you're so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? You hear what the Lord saying? He's comforting him like a drill sergeant. Comforts a private who says, this is too hard. What do you mean it's too hard? You, you know, so we just, you know, get up, get yourself moving, get working at it. This is not the hardest thing you're going to face. This is just the beginning of your problems. You ain't seen nothing yet. You haven't been shot at yet. They've only talked about shooting you. They actually haven't shot at you. One of these days you're going to be shot at. Jeremiah, one of these days they're going to take you and they're going to throw you down in a cistern and sit in the mud for a couple of days. 
How are you going to deal with that? Some of them are going to get awful close to actually killing you. How are you going to deal with that when that happens? And God speaks to him not as a comforting nursemaid, but as a coach that says, you're just in the conditioning phase of all of this. You're being prepared for something, Jeremiah. And this is not the hardest thing you're going to face. You better start getting with it. You better get some fortitude. Not very comforting words for Jeremiah, but he's being very frank with us about this relationship, this back and forth that he's having with God. Are you this frank with God? Are you as honest with God as Jeremiah is? Or are you trying to tell God, Oh, Lord. I'm yours. All, all to the I surrender. And then we go and complain to one another. I just, this is just, I can't take this. I can't do this anymore. Oh, Lord, I can't, you know. If, you, if you're thinking, I can't do this, you know, go ahead and tell God. He already knows it anyway. But don't be surprised if you indeed are in a time of training and preparation that He comes back to you with something that's more like a rebuke than a word of comfort. Look at verse 7. I've forsaken my house. I've abandoned my heritage. I've given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. Jeremiah, this is not a time for you to be pitying yourself. You understand what's going on here? And God reveals some of his own heart to Jeremiah. It's as though God is saying to Jeremiah, this is not an easy thing for me to go through either. Verse 13. The reversal of the law of sowing and reaping. They have sown wheat and have reaped thorns. They've tired themselves out but profit nothing. They shall be ashamed of their harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. And then another, an odd little prophecy there at the end of the chapter. Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I've given my people to Israel to inherit. He's talking about the nations around, the Philistines, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the people who are... Even the Babylonians. It's all of these other nations. God is, God is not just the God of Israel. God's not just the God of Judah. He's the God of all the nations. They just don't know it yet. He says, I'll tell you what, they're not going to get away from all of this. My people are going to be plucked up, but so are they. He says, but I'm going to give them a promise. After I've plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them, and I will bring them again each to his heritage and to his land. And it shall come to pass that if they will diligently learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. But if any people will not, nation will not listen, I will utterly pluck it up and destroy it, declares the Lord. In chapter 13, you've got a story. It tells us a story. God gives him... A job to do. He says, Jeremiah, I want, you to, I want you to go out and I want you to buy some linen underwear. That's right. Now, King James says a linen belt, a linen sash. It's underwear. A linen girdle. Yeah. Basically, that's what it's talking about. Linen underwear. This is, this is priestly garb. Did you know the, the priests were required to wear underwear? That is so that their nakedness would not show 
underneath their robes as they walked on the, t- on the ground of the tabernacle in the wilderness and then in the temple. That is just, you know, complete protection, covering. And so they were required. So Jeremiah said, went and did it, said, I don't want you to wash it. don't want you to put, don't want you to touch, touch with water. I want it to be clean, pure. I want it to be branded. I want you to wear it. So Jeremiah wore it for a while. So he said, now, Jeremiah, what I want you to do is I want you to take it. And some translations say, take it to the Euphrates. Uh, if you've got the NIV, I think it says, take it to Perith. Most likely that that's, I think that's the correct translation. Euphrates, it's the same consonants. It's spelled the same way in Hebrew, but it's got different vowels. But there is a spring in, called Perith. It's about four miles from Anathoth, which would be a place, I mean, it's basically a fishing hole, you know, kind of like that. Take it out there, bury it under a rock. Now, the Euphrates River, the closest part of the Euphrates River is 350 miles away. Jeremiah had been making, making two trips out there and back. That's 1,400 miles. That's not really... Probably not have, although it's possible that this was all given to him in, as a visionary thing, so much as some, some of these things were done with Ezekiel and, and with Daniel, take him in a vision. But I, I don't think, I think it's most likely, take it, take it up to this spring, Paris. Bury it under a rock. You want me to bury the linen, the new clean linen underwear under a rock? Yep, that's right, bury it under a rock over by the spring. Then went, go back after a certain amount of time, get it out. Okay, he goes and pulls it out. This nice, clean, pure pair of linen drawers is just rotten. Not a stitch is held. It's falling apart. What's the object lesson? Thus says the Lord, verse 9, Even so will I spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem, the evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I mowed the whole house of Israel, the whole house of Judah, to cling to me, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory, but they would not listen. And it has another spoken word thing. You shall speak to them this word. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Every jar shall be filled with wine. What's that about? Well, that's a common proverb. It's probably a party proverb. A drinking proverb. One of those things. Every jar shall be filled with wine. You know, we're going to have a party. Every jar shall be filled with wine. And so, that's, what, that's the message that God gave Jeremiah. Jeremiah, what's the... And people gather around, you know, they know that Jeremiah's a preacher. They know Jeremiah's got these things to say. Jeremiah, what does the word of the Lord say today? Well, the word of the Lord today is, every jar shall be filled with wine. And they look at him like, you idiot. You ninny. Of course every jar is going to be filled with wine. How, how trite, how banal can you be? How is that the word of God? Then you shall say to them, 
Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will fill with drunkenness all the inhabitants of this land. Say, so you don't understand. Every jar should be filled with wine. You guys have been spending your life in partying and dissipation. And you've neglected the commands of the Lord. And you think that all, of this, all this is about is just so you could get, you could amass some wealth, so you could feel good, so you can just get drunk. Well, let me tell you about that. God's going to fill everybody with drunkenness. He's going to fill the leaders and the kings with drunkenness. They won't know what they're doing. They'll be reeling about. They'll be bumping into each other. They'll be knocking each other down. They'll be getting into fights with each other. And they're just like, a, and it's going to be like a drunken, it's going to be like the drunken aftermath of the party because you're all vessels and you're all going to be filled with the effects. You're all going to get the consequences what you've done and then he begins to sing to them and his singing is, a, is an appeal to them give glory to the Lord your God before he brings darkness before, you, before your feet stumble on the twilight mountains while you look for light he turns it into gloom and makes it deep darkness one of the most alarming things before a traveler would be out in the mountains when it gets dark you don't want to be in the mountains when it gets dark not unless you're an experienced tracker out there. You, you don't want to be in the mountains when it gets dark. So, but that's what you're going to be like if you do not give glory to God, which is another way of saying confess your sins. Verse 21, what will you say when they set his head over you, those whom you yourself have taught to be friends to you? He's talking about their alliances. All these alliances. You've been making alliances. Alliances over here with Egypt. Alliances over here with Babylonia. Alliances with... It. And you th you've been cultivating these special friendships. These special alliances. What are you going to do when these are the people who rule you? And if you say in your heart, why have these things come upon me? It's for the greatness of your iniquity that your skirts are lifted up and you suffer violence. An alarming figure of speech. This is how you... This is how they treated a prostitute. When they brought her out, they would publicly shame her and they would throw her skirts over her head and expose her nakedness. And he uses this because one of the images that is prominent in Jeremiah, as it is in Hosea, is the image of spiritual adultery. Can the, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Then also can you do good who are accustomed to evil? This has become your nature. Doing evil has become who you are. And you can't change it any more than, a, than an Ethiopian can change his skin or a leopard, leopard can change his spots. Verse 27, I've seen your abominations, your adulteries, your neighings, your lewd whorings over the hills and the field. Woe to you, O Jerusalem. How long will it be before you're made clean? It's a desperate and pessimistic appeal for repentance. Pleading with the people to do something that he knows that they're not going to do. Then he introduces a theme. Famine, sword, 
pestilence. Starts out with famine that begins with a drought. And then verse 7, though our iniquities, he, he lays this out and here's this problem, here's this terrible drought which is emblematic of the spiritual thirst, the spiritual dryness that exists. An actual drought, but it is also the image of the spiritual dryness in the place. And then Jeremiah, God told him, I don't want you to even pray for these people. But Jeremiah can't keep from them. He can't keep from them if these are his people. And God is his God and he, he's driven to intercede for them. And he puts himself in their place. He says, if they won't confess, I'll do it. But he does it from their point of view. He is doing what he's supposed He is actually acting as a media and he's mediating from their point of view. And look at what he says, though our iniquities testify against us. Act, O Lord, for your namesake, for our backslidings are many. We've sinned against you. O you hope of Israel, its Savior in time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot save? Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us. We're called by your name. Don't leave us. Now, let me just ask, before we go any further, find out what God's response to this is. How does that sound as a prayer of confession to you? Why not? What's what's unacceptable about that? Because God has proclaimed that they're going all. It it's no forgiver of any man of any distinction. Is there any hint of actual repentance in there? Yeah, we've sinned. Big deal. You're supposed to save us. That's your job. Then there's this self-serving <coughs> undercurrent here. And on the surface, it sounds like, oh yeah, you're, they're humbling themselves, but it's actually the apology of somebody who's not going to change. This is the apology of somebody who doesn't want to change, but they still want you to bail them out. This is God's response. Thus says the Lord concerning his people. Verse 10. They've loved to wander thus. They've not restrained their feet. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity. And punish their sins. The Lord said to me. Don't pray for the welfare of this people. Though they fast. I will not hear their cry. Though they offer burnt offering and grain offering. I will not accept them. For I, but I will consume them. By the sword. By famine. And by pestilence. And then he's got a section here, a segment on lying prophets. And I said, oh, Lord God. Behold, the prophets sell them. You can't blame these people. It's what the prophets are selling. Look at what the prophets, you've got all these professional prophets. And these guys, their preachers are telling them. You shall not see the sword. You shall not have famine. I will give you a short peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I didn't send them, nor did I command them, nor speak to them. They're prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. 
And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem, the victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them, them, their wives, their sons, and their daughters. For I will pour out their evil upon them. And you shall say to them this word. And he starts into the song. Let my eyes run down with tears. Night and day let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people is shattered with a great wound, with a very grievous blow. These aren't just words for Jeremiah. When he talks about, when he says, let my eyes run with tears night and day, he's weeping. This has broken his heart. We're going to see what the stress is on on Jeremiah as we go along. This is not an easy task. Verse 19, have you utterly rejected Judah? Does your soul loathe Zion? We look for peace, but no good time for time of healing. But behold, terror, we acknowledge our wickedness, O Lord, the iniquity of our fathers. For we have sinned against you. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember and do not break your covenant with us. Verse chapter 15, then the Lord said to me, O Moses, And Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn toward this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. First of all, before we go further with that, how harsh is that? Well, on one hand, it is an encouragement for Jeremiah. Jeremiah, it's not you. At this point, Jeremiah is not standing And pleading with the people's words. Now Jeremiah is standing and pleading with God with his own words. With his own heart. And it is a sincere intercession. Oh God we have sinned. Don't turn away from us. For your name's sake. For the honor and the glory of your throne. Remember your covenant toward us. And that's just the problem. God is remembering his covenant. And God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, it's not about you. He's told him all along they're beyond divine help. They're beyond divine He said, you remember Samuel? Samuel stood before me and he turned away my judgment and my wrath from this people. He was pretty good. You remember Moses? <laughs> Moses was pretty good at the, at the job of intercession. And he turned away my wrath from this people. I was ready to wipe them out. He turned away my wrath from this people. I don't care if Moses and Samuel were down here on their knees in front of me right now where you are. I don't care. Now you are Jeremiah and you're hearing this word. And you're wondering why then am I even here? God says you're here to give my message send them away they said where where should we go to those who are for pestilence to pestilence those who are for the sword of the sword those who are famine to famine those who are for captivity to captivity these words are mimicked later on in the book of Revelation there comes a time when all the destinies are fixed and it's a done deal and it's all rigged Say they've crossed the deadline. That is a fearful thing, and that is something that people in our day cannot get through. Christians in our day, we cannot get it through our minds. God does have a deadline. God is patient, He is long suffering, His love is eternal and infinite. 
but he will not tolerate sin forever. God is God. It's interesting that we have terms like omniscient and omnipotent and everything. There's nothing for all patients. That's right. God goes on to say, I will point over them four kinds of destroyers. This is disturbing. The sword to kill, the dogs to tear, birds of the air and beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. And I will make them a horror to the kingdoms of the earth because of what Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. We talked early on, we were talking in the book of the kings, early in the book of the kings, the power of precedent. The precedent set by Manasseh is a precedent that God set and established over a long 50-year reign. And you, you look and you wonder, why do the right, why do the wicked prosper? And Manasseh prospered. Who will have pity on you, Jerusalem? Who will grieve for you? You have rejected me, verse 6, declares the Lord. You keep going backward. So I have stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. I'm weary of, of relenting. That is a perfect tense. The destruction hasn't come yet, but it's given in the perfect tense, which means it's a done deal. Jeremiah can't stand it anymore. Verse 10. Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to a whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. Verse 15, O Lord, you know. Remember me and visit me and take vengeance on me for my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy, the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord of hosts. That's the, that, that's the first time Jeremiah gives us an indication. Remember when that word first came to me? And even though it was a hard word, it was a difficult word, I filled, it, filled, it filled me with life. Because it was your word. I received that with joy. I didn't sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be like, to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Jeremiah's getting real close, yeah. Is he referring to when they found I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. I think if it is, then that was merely the external part of something that was taking place internally with him. But at this point, Jeremiah has gone, he's gotten up real close to the line, hasn't he? God, did you lie to me? Did you lie to me? At this point, the Lord says, Whoa. And the Lord turns back on Jeremiah, the same word that Jeremiah has been using on the people, the word return, return, return. 
If you return, I will restore you. And you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you. You shall not turn to them. Jeremiah, remember who you are. Remember who I am. Verse 21, I will. I didn't lie to you. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and I will redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. But don't you go accusing me like that. How tough is Jeremiah's life? Chapter 16, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, you shall not take a wife nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. Boy, in Jeremiah's culture, that marked him as being an oddball. That's just what you're supposed to do. Usually you took a wife very often as early as age 14. You had sons, you had daughters, you filled the place. It's what you're supposed to do. God told Jeremiah, not you. This is not the time to be bringing up children. Besides that, you're a sign of what I'm doing in this generation. So, Jeremiah, you're going to be childish. You're not going to have an heir. Not, a, not an earthly heir. Not only that, verse 5, do not enter the house of mourning. Or go to lament or grieve for them. I've taken away my peace from this people. My steadfast love and mercy. So this keeps make, it just takes Jeremiah even further out of the loop. When people have a death in the family. Jeremiah can't go to the funeral. He can't go to the house. He can't mourn. He can't, he can't participate in the family festivity. The, the ceremonies and, cel- and the homecomings and the reunions and the and the, the meals and all of the things that go along with it, the, the morning, the singing, the, the, the rituals. He can't do that. He's got to stand back and just watch from a distance at most. Even if his best friend dies, even if his mother dies, if his brother dies, he's got to stand back. He can't go. Not only that, you shall not go into the house of feasting, verse 8, to sit with them, to eat and drink. Behold, I will silence in this, in this place before your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. So he can't participate in anything socially. And when you tell these people all these words, they shall say to you, Why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is the sin that we've committed against the Lord our God? Have you not been listening? <laughs> then you shall say to them, Because we, because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have gone after other gods, forsaken me, not kept my law, verse 12, and because you have done worse than your fathers. See, this isn't just about them. It's all accumulated to this point. But you've got your fate in your own hands. 
And it's not about them. You've done worse than them. How? For behold, every one of you follows his stubborn evil will, refusing to listen to me. Generations before you have done this. But this is the... This generation is unique because you've gone all in after the same idols that they went after. But they didn't go all in. They at least kept a foot outside. They kept, there were some people who didn't get in it. You're all in. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, verse 14. Declares the Lord when it shall no longer be said as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of the countries where he had driven them. For I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Yeah. You're going to exile, but I am going to bring you back. God did give Jeremiah some word of hope. Verse 19, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can a man make for himself gods such are not gods? Therefore, behold, I will make them know. This once I will make them know my power and might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. And there's a prophecy of a great ingathering of Gentiles. Chapter 17. Chapter 17 is the crux of Jeremiah's problem and it is the crux of all of our problems. The crux of the problem of the people of Israel. The, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron with a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. While their children remember their altars and their asherim behind every green tree and on the high hills and the high mountains of the open country. The children do it. The children think, you know, the seasons come around. The children say, don't say, when is the Passover? The children don't say, when is the Feast of the Tabernacles? The children say, when are we going out to the Asherah pole? When are we going to the high places to offer sacrifices to Baal. Isn't this the time for that festival? Isn't that time, this time, the time for the festival of Moloch? When are we going to go out there? Are we going to take another one of our babies from our house and give it to Moloch? The children remember the idols and the idol festivals. That's how deep that the idolatry was. And then here comes, and this part, this is the most theological and the most significant theological point in Jeremiah, perhaps. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Humanism. I've been trying to tell you all this time, I... Idolatry is humanism and humanism is idolatry. The idolatry, we, the, the humanism of this day was a supernaturalistic humanism. They believed in supernatural forces, supernatural powers, 
But they believe idolatry is humanism because idolatry is about human control over the powers that rule the world. Our age is a secular humanism that is dominant. It is naturalistic, not supernaturalistic. Our age doesn't believe in supernatural things. Our, our age believes that everything is material. Everything is matter. Everything is cause and effect in a closed system. But it's humanism. And humanism is about man can rule it. Man can do it. Man control, can be in control ultimately, conceivably, of everything. Why we've even caused the climate to change. That's how powerful we are. And we can change it back. Just by dialing a few knobs. Just by cutting back a few things. Just by, never mind. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Who makes the flesh his arm. Whose heart turns away from the Lord. Verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots in the stream that does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves remain green, is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Just because everything else is dry, when we're attached to the Lord, we can continue to bear fruit. Then verse 9, powerful, powerful words. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Terminally ill. Who can understand it? Who can know it? Here's the thing. This is the, t this is the human condition. We would like to think everybody is basically good. You know what Jeremiah says? You're basically not. And you don't even know. You don't even know your own heart. You do not even know the depths of sin in your own heart. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Jeremiah prays. Verse 14, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Behold, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. I've not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. It's, be not a terror to me. You're a refuge in the days of disaster. Let those be put to shame who persecute me, but let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them with the double destruction. There are some people who are disturbed that Jeremiah is calling down judgment on these people. You're not in his place. You do the same thing. Yeah, we sit there and we look so spiritual. Oh yes, Jeremiah should be saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jeremiah is not Christ. Although in his day, there are a lot of people who thought that Christ was Jeremiah. Don't judge him. Chapter 18 gives him something to do. says, I want you to go down to the potter's house. We've got this story, and for many of us, for me, he goes, to the, he goes to the potter's house. He watches a potter 
make his clay. And he watches as, as the potter shapes and molds and turns it in, into something. And then it doesn't turn out right. Something, a lump comes by or something like that and it mars it. So, okay, start over again. Object lesson. I'm the Lord. I'm the potter. You're the clay. Cannot, cannot the potter do with the clay what he wants to do? Cannot he shape it the way he wants to shape it? Later, chapter 19, goes back out. He buys a pot that's actually been made. It's been fired. It's, it's now, the pot is set. It is in its place. Once it's been fired, once it has set, once it has dried and has gotten its place, once it's no longer moist and pliable, it can't be changed. And if it's not fit, and Jeremiah took the pot out, and before spiritual leaders, he said, this is Judah. And he took it and threw it down on the rocks. And it shattered. He said, you're not going to be able to put that back together with super glue. Verse 8, chapter 19. I will make this city a horror, a thing to be hissed at. Verse 11. Thus shall you say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, so will I break this people in this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it cannot be mended. Well, this is all that pasture. The guy who is the manager of the temple can take. And he orders Jeremiah to be arrested, beaten, and put into stocks. Well, Jeremiah doesn't appreciate that much. And he's got a word for Pasher. It says, I've got, your name's changed. Now, the word Pasher is hard to know what that means. It probably was an Egyptian or uh, name of Egyptian origin. Hard to know exactly what that means, but it's not hard to know what the name means that Jeremiah gave him. I'm going to change your name, says God, to terror on every side. Because that's what your experience is going to be. And you're going to die with your family in a foreign land. So Jeremiah goes and he sings. He's honest. Honest to the last. Oh, Lord. And at this point, his mood is bouncing like the stock market in the current day. I mean, it's just you don't know whether it's going to go up or down. Oh, Lord, you deceived me and I was deceived. You're stronger than I. You prevailed. I become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. Verse 9. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones and I'm weary with holding it in and I cannot... You think it's easy to be a prophet? Jeremiah is caught no matter what he does. If he says it, he's going to, if he says what God tells him to do, he's going to be persecuted. If he tries not to say it, if he just tries, oh, I'm just going to shut up, I'm going to mind my own business, it burns in his heart and he can't keep quiet. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. Save all my close friends watching for my Paul. Perhaps he will be deceived. We can overcome him. Then take revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. Verse 12. O Lord of hosts who tests the righteous. Who sees the heart and the mind. Let me see your vengeance upon them. For you have committed my cause. 
Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. He has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of the evildoers. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. His mood is bouncing like a yo-yo. Don't judge him. The stress that Jeremiah is under corresponds with two things. It corresponds with the weight of the message that he had to deliver. And it corresponds to the grief that is in the heart of God. For the judgment that he must bring upon the people who are called by his name. This section that contains the confessions of Jeremiah. That's what scholars often call it. It's Jeremiah's most personal album. Interesting thing. We're not going to hear, for the rest of Jeremiah, we're not going to hear him complaining to the Lord. We're not going to hear him saying, oh God, deliver me from this or from that. We're, not, we're going to see him going through some very difficult things. But we're not going to hear him <coughs> moan about it. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only desire thy dross to consume. I go to refine that soul the soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose I will not I will not desert to his foes that soul though all hell should endeavor to shake I'll never no never no never forsake that's a good place to start you've been listening to the third of ten episodes covering the book of Jeremiah as you can see we're not going verse by verse but are seeking to interpret the sweep of the book. From this point forward, the book becomes less introspective, but tells us more about the events and the turbulent life and times of this prophet. I hope you keep tuning in. This is Insight with Gary Nation. Thanks for listening.